So you may have seen this bombshell investigation from ProPublica last week detailing a COVID testing scandal in Nevada. It had a little bit of everything, right? Juice peddling, questionable lobbying, systems failures, and most importantly, false negatives that might have been as high as 96%. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we talk with the journalist behind this investigation, Anjanette Damon, about the lead up to her reporting, some behind the scenes, and what she sees as a potential fallout and maybe tarnished silver linings to this Nevada scandal. It's Thursday, May 26, 2022. I'm David Figler, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. And Jeanette, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. We're really happy to have you on. Hi, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So what I'm going to try to do, and and this is always a dangerous adventure with the reporter, uh, I'm going to try to summarize your long-form piece in less than a minute. So when I'm reading your story, I'm like envisioning one of those TV shows that we often see where the FBI has all the strings on a board connecting the different players. So here's here was my takeaway, is that there's this company that is based out of Chicago that have fraud convictions for a lot of the principal players, but also have some connections in Las Vegas. They utilize their connections in Las Vegas to get to the front of the line to be able to participate in what turns out to be a very lucrative business of offering COVID testing. Ultimately, despite there being a number of government employees who had serious concerns about allowing this company to operate, wound up operating throughout the state, doing what looks very much like false negative testing at a very high level. And then when they are finally under investigation, they like, okay, we're done. We're bouncing. Uh, did I did I do okay? I think you did a tremendous job. You might have gone over a little bit, over a minute a little yeah, bit. Well, yeah, well, you, know, no, you got it good. <laughs> yeah. No, that was the challenge with this story. One, 3,000 emails. But also there were just so, it was difficult to know where to start because of all the different problematic things associated with their operations here in Nevada. I think it became really apparent publicly in January when Omicron really hit and the North Shore testing sites became completely overwhelmed in a way that was drawing a lot of public attention and some local TV news attention. Uh, The lines were snarling traffic and people were complaining that they couldn't get their test results. And so it was just kind of this big mess. And after seeing that, I thought, well, who is this company and how did they get all of these contracts? They were actually agreements with local governments in the area. Um, And thankfully we have a really strong public records law in Nevada. And so I started putting out some records requests and they just started trickling in. And it seemed like every new batch of emails that I received, my, my eyebrows raised, raised further. So, gosh, there, there's two aspects I really want to make really clear. Number one is there is a concern that's written in your story that talks about 
this company, North Shore, using what we all euphemistically call Nevada juice to move up in the line to get their licensing. And then there seems to be this concept of the very desperate in the time of COVID county figure, this Solaro up in Washoe County, which is where Reno's located, who's letting it happen and, and giving North Shore their first foothold in the state that uh, we understand later in your story leads to other agencies and municipalities saying, well, if it was good enough for Washoe, it's good enough for us. Right. Yeah. I mean, there there's two different things here. One, yes, they had to get licensed through the state and they could have just set up shop, say they could, you know, rent a storefront or set up a pop-up in, in a parking lot somewhere if they got uh, an agreement with a private landowner. Um, you see, you saw a lot of those pop-ups all across the country and also in mm-hmm. the state. I think what was different here is they they were able to achieve more legitimacy because they got agreements with these local governments. So they got the right to test all of the K through 12 students at the Washoe County High or the Washoe County School District. Um, they got the exclusive right to do testing on the University of Nevada Reno campus. And then they got this agreement with Washoe County and Washoe County had the health district putting out messaging saying, okay, community, Omicron's here. There's a huge demand for testing. You can go to these four drive up sites. So you hear the health district telling people to go to these four drive up sites. Um, that really gave them one legitimacy and a big customer base that I think these other kind of pop-up sites um, in the area and around the country just didn't have. Right. Did Did you see that any corners were cut with regard to the actual licensing of North Shore themselves? In other words, they moved to the front of the line, but w- was there any indication that the state licensing board cut them some slack or unofficially loosened some of the more stringent requirements to allow them to operate in the state? Or was it a pretty basic application that didn't really look into their medical abilities and training? Yeah, so there's a couple things here. And I no, I did not find anything that suggested that they cut corners or overlooked, you know, purposefully overlooked any deficiencies uh, from all of the documents I've read. The, on the, the front you know, end. On the front end. On the front end, yeah. they. I mean, they did, they followed the rules, did what they were supposed to do as far as mm-hmm. the state was concerned. Now, there is, there's this question of, you know, they were sending samples or specimens to Chicago. Nevada doesn't go and inspect out-of-state labs. So they do have to, um, to a certain extent, rely on, the officials in Chicago, um, and also the federal licensing structure and federal officials to make sure that, you know, North Shore was doing what they were supposed to be doing in Chicago. So that, that there was a, a bit of a breakdown there. Um, but so when the you say time, a bit of, and I'm sorry, Anjanette, when, uh-huh. when you say there's a bit of a breakdown, it, it kind of looks like they didn't really reach out to Illinois officials from the state of Nevada to do any sort of vetting or verification at all right. for whatever reason, but it doesn't seem like that was done. Right. I, and I don't think that that's part of the of the standard process. They do check to make sure that they have the f- proper federal licensing. So in this case, mm-hmm. it was a CLIA, C-L-I-A. Um, you're going to test my brain to remember what that stands for. But okay. they did they did ensure that they had that proper certification through the federal government in order to move forward. Um, now, I, I will say North Shore got that state license for one address for one office location in Las Vegas. 
And then they went about and, and got agreements across the state of Nevada. They were operating outside of the license that they did get. Yeah, and that was a huge red flag that ultimately, I think, led to the level of investigation that ultimately led to their extraction. But there was this period of time when they were operating in all these locations around Nevada that were not proper, uh, right there on its face. And it doesn't seem like anyone really cared or noticed at right. the time yeah. it was happening. And I think if there wasn't this this problem with the test results, that may have gone on in perpetuity because the state the state doesn't like actively conduct surveillance on its licensees to ensure that they're not operating outside of their license. They kind of rely on one media reports and two complaints that are filed. Mm-hmm. And so um the the state regulatory arm really didn't get involved until Heather Kerwin sent an email forwarding the results of this this study at the state public health lab saying, look, their PCR testing is not working. We need to pull this license now. And at that point, that triggered an investigation by our, our state health regulators. So what do you think that this investigation tells us about Nevada's pandemic response? <sighs> I mean, what what surprised me, I think there's definitely grace to be given, particularly in the early days of the pandemic, right? But this is almost two years in. And so it was somewhat surprising to me that there wasn't a more robust system followed for choosing a testing provider. This is a, a critical service during an ongoing pandemic We all rely on accurate testing to make decisions about whether to go to school, to leave our house, to go to work, um, just on an individual level. And we're looking to the the health officials, the health district, the county, the school district, you know, the university to be able to provide that service. And two years in, it seems to me that they could have um, followed, a, I guess, a a more robust vetting process or process for choosing a testing provider. And in my interviews with experts in the field, one thing they caution, I mean, relationships are always, especially in an emergency, when you're trying to move quickly, and government does need the room to react nimbly to an emergency, they do need to be able to act quickly, bureaucracy can slow that down. But there are still steps that you can take one, making coming up with a a checklist, or a way of vetting um, agreements with providers to staying local, perhaps expanding the labs that you do have. Um, and three, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Um, I mean, Northern Nevada especially was relying very heavily on this one provider from out of state. So um, kind of spreading the wealth, choosing multiple testing providers. Um, right. And Las Vegas wasn't... Right. And Las Vegas wasn't immune either. The city of Las Vegas, city of Henderson, they had some connection with utilizing labs uh, tied to North Shore, right? Yeah, especially Las Vegas. I think they were signing their agreement with North Shore right about the time that all of this was coming out with the discordant results um, and the craziness that was occurring in Reno with these sites. So um, they very easily could have seen uh, what the rest of us saw in northern Nevada, whereas I think in the early stages, you know, that there was press coming out of Chicago about significant problems with this company that started to come out in late December, early January. So some of these decisions were made 
in northern Nevada prior to that. But Las Vegas, my goodness, I, you know, this was all over the news. State government, local government um, knew that there were real problems and, and Las Vegas went, went ahead with it. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, that kind of begs the question now. When we see this kind of reporting and we see the exposure of this, I mean, the city of Las Vegas isn't even catching on to it until like late in the game. But, you know, we all have that Aunt Gina or Uncle Mark on Facebook who likes to cite evidence uh, about how the CDC and the WHO can't be trusted. I I mean, how do you respond if someone says that uh, your investigation and pieces like it erode trust in public health at a time when that trust is needed so much more than ever? Yeah, that's a really difficult question. Um, I think I'm always going to lean on the side of transparency. Of course, yeah. But also, and and it's hard, I mean, because there is a responsibility on the part of the end user with a lot of these news stories, but to really be careful to say, this is one company that we're dealing with. You know, PCR testing is the gold standard. It is the more sensitive test. You can trust results from PCR testing in general. One of my questions to everybody involved in this was, why did you keep quiet with these discordant results? You had people getting false negatives, sick people being told that they did not have COVID. Why did you keep quiet on that? Why not tell the public? And that was a concern that they raised that, you know, they need to keep kind of their messaging uniform. They don't want to create more distrust in the process. And so they opted uh, not to, to talk about those problematic results. I mean, this obviously wasn't per se a political story when you wrote it, but it has definitely taken on some political overtones and has already started injecting itself into some of the the statewide races. And and naturally, you know, now that we have much more of the story out in the public eye, there is going to be this finger pointing. I mean, we've already seen uh, Joe Lombardo, who is the front runner for the GOP's candidate for governor, uh, saying that, quote, Sisolak's friends made millions and we paid the price. I mean, the the pandemic response has definitely been a point that Sisolak's opponents are going to want to press on from the very beginning before this story even came out. And so if you look at it from a question of how does the leader at the top run a pandemic response, I think this story raises some legitimate questions. Um, that's not to say that within the the lens of the campaign that things aren't going to be exaggerated. I mean, if- well, do you do you think that this is going to affect the elections in Nevada? Do you think that this is one of those stories that's going to have legs uh, as far as it coming up in debates or more uh, hit pieces or ads or whatever? Do you think it it will affect the election? Uh, it's possible. Um, I will say, you know, I, I covered campaigns for a long time. I, I don't mm-hmm. do that now, so I'm not like... <laughs> but you know a lot. Yeah. You know a lot about Nevada and how, how things resonate and how they work and when things get left in a dustbin and when things like pick up, right? So right. W- yeah. w- what's your take? So, I mean, it, it, you know, are voters voting on pandemic response? Are they voting on the economy? Are they voting on immigration or inflation? So yeah, I think it, one, you have to have uh, an electorate that's like, oh yeah, COVID response, pandemic response is top of my top of mind and then assessing okay did this governor rely on relationships rather than really operating a strong pandemic response and i think it also um how sisolak's opponents communicate that message 
um, is also key. So, you know, if they're doing polling and they're saying, yeah, this is going to continue to to hit, they'll keep on that message. If they're doing polling and they're like, oh, yeah, voters have kind of moved on. Um, I don't think we'll hear that much from them. Yeah. I mean, it seems like some of the initial responses, and I know uh, the ProPublica piece was co-published with the Nevada Independent, and they've already been doing some follow-ups. It seems like everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible, including those who you know, may ultimately find that they are the subject of some accountability for <laughs> what happened. But- yeah. I mean, and sometimes there's a disconnect between what insiders think is important and what the general public thinks is important. But I will say that this story has created a lot of strong emotions, anger from the general public. Um, as far as the feedback that I've received, I mean, you go to and you get a test, it comes back negative and you go to Christmas celebrations or holiday celebrations and inadvertently after trying to do the right thing, expose your loved ones, that creates a huge emotional response. So yeah, if people are still thinking of that, it could, it could have an impact. Yeah. And, you know, for someone like me, who is a political watcher, the the intrigue, the insider, how things happen, how things move, that's, you know, that's really of interest to me. But let, let us not forget that the heart of your story, and I think why it is resonating is exactly what you just said, that there's this human toll associated with faulty testing. Is there a way to even measure what the impact of this faulty testing is? I mean, is the state doing anything to try to identify or remediate some of the damage? Or is it too little too late here in in the beginning of summer of 2022 to do anything about it? I don't know of any robust postmortem or investigation that's occurring you know, the Department of Health and Human Services have said that they, you know, they did their investigation. It's closed. I, I believe they've they've said that they're not currently opening up another one to look at those numbers. It would be it would be really interesting to know, um, you know, the the ninety six percent false positive rate. That was a sample. That was a, a sample of the tests of the total tests that occurred in northern Nevada. Yeah, and so, I think it was just 51 cases when there were mm-hmm. thousands, if not tens of thousands, of, right, of tests right. that are out there. Yeah, there were clearly indications that there were problems, not just with the university. I mean, the school district's tests were coming back discordant. The general public tests were coming back discordant. So while we don't have yeah. specific numbers on those, there were indications that the same problem was occurring um, with that. But yeah, I mean, going back and looking at how many tests were run through North Shore, how many PCRs um, came back negative, I, you know, probably try and decide what the utility of that would be. I think a forward-looking approach, and the the governor's office has come out and said that they're exploring their their legal options, um, and they are looking at ways to invest to make a, as they say, a stronger public health infrastructure. So, you know, from my view, looking forward, looking at what they can do to strengthen one government procurement processes um, in an emergency and to, you know, how do they make fundamental investments to create a strong local testing, testing capacity? Uh, Because, you know, the demand for testing, as we're seeing now, cases are going up, demand for testing is going up. Um, You know, we might be right back of where we were in the fall of 2021 facing this again, right. if you were to write a follow-up story to this debacle that you have done such a great job documenting, say six months from now, 
what's the worst case scenario and the best case scenario of your reporting? Oh gosh, I know this. These questions are always so difficult as as a reporter. You always hope that sunlight is the best disinfectant and that people will take action. In this case, best case scenario would be that uh, the state and local government um, find ways to invest in a in a adequate, accurate uh, testing apparatus to meet the demand here. Worst case scenario is, um, you know, <laughs> they continue to make poor decisions um, quickly without proper vetting, um, and maybe um, fall victim again to companies that don't do what they say they're going to do. Um, yeah. So if we see it repeated. That would be bad. But but I, I love what you say about transparency um, and sunshine being the disinfectant. You always do hope. So, you know, fingers crossed that the best case scenario does happen. Uh, and Jeanette Damon, thank you so much for coming on City Castle Las Vegas to tell us uh, about your story, about the making of it and going down that that weird journey with us to try to figure out what's next. Uh, I do appreciate your time and I really appreciate your reporting. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. All right, a couple more things you should know today. Here's Layla with the news. Hey, everyone. So high schools had been blocking kids from wearing stoles or medallions at graduation that weren't issued by the school. But after student protests, some schools, but not all, have relaxed their policies so seniors can wear regalia that celebrates their cultural heritage. If you plan to visit what's left of Lake Mead over the Memorial Day weekend, beware of the mud. Officials say the newly exposed shoreline is, quote, dense and difficult to navigate. People and vehicles have already gotten stuck, so don't be one of them. And that is a wrap here on CityCast Las Vegas for the week. Our lead producer is Sonia Cho Swanson, and our producer is Layla Muhammad. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets, and our host is me, David Figler. Music is by OG Moose. This show was recorded on the traditional homelands of the Nuuvi, the Southern Paiute people. If you're loving the show, go tell a friend, leave us some stars on those various platforms, and shoot us a quick review. Tell us what you like. Don't forget to subscribe to our morning newsletter. It's like the back fence neighbor you wish you had. We'll be back Tuesday morning with more news from around the city. Y'all have a great weekend. There's some 8 a.m. energy.